This is Table Talk 5.5 from the fellas at Late Afternoon Gaming. Tonight, we're kicking things off with the Ombudsman Report. Later on, we revisit our dream purchases, talk about virtual tabletop programs, and then go on and on about a bunch of other stuff. If that sounds dumb to you, head on over to Session 6. That being said, please enjoy this episode of Table Talk. Okay, this is not going to be a terribly long Ombudsman Report. We're going to start with Table Talk from last time. Duncan, when we were talking about the TTRPG podcast we listened to, I don't know if you deliberately left this one out, but you didn't mention that you listened to Matt Colville's The Chain. You are right, and yeah, I uh, I am... I, I can't claim to be a big fan of The Chain because I have only listened to a handful of their, um, of their episodes... I have watched some of the videos where they play other stuff. Like, that's how I found out about Codenames, um, which I really enjoy. Sure. I generally, you know, if I had to kill one Matt and preserve the other, I would kill Matt Koval and Or no, I would kill Matt Mercer and keep Matt Cole. Interesting. Yeah. Of, of, the two, of the two most prominent Matts in D&D, I think that's a polarizing take. Yeah, it could be, but... Uh, I appreciate the audacity of your choice. Yeah, so listeners, please let us know which one you would kill and how you would do <laughs> exactly. it. Okay, so from the session, uh, we brought up the idea that adult cats shouldn't drink milk. Uh, I looked that up, and it's generally correct. Cats, like humans, tend to develop lactose intolerance as they reach adulthood. Some do it faster than others, so it could be that you've got a cat that can keep drinking milk, just like there are many adult humans who can continue to drink milk. Uh, but they do tend to develop lactose intolerance. Nerf has actually stopped leaving saucers of milk out in the house because I will vomit after I mm-hmm. after I lap them up. That's right. I was I was getting really worried. Um, so we actually have a no milk policy in the house now. <laughs> well, stay strong, Duncan. Uh, later on in the session, Jack mistakenly referred to his character as Isaac. Uh, Isaac is actually a different character. He's a, a human guard NPC in the town of Velaki, whereas Jack's character, Amazing. Thank you. Eisen, is a half-orc barbarian from out of town. Uh, so just to clarify that, uh, Jack was saying, as we rode out to meet the guy who threw Arabelle into the lake, that being strong was all that Eisen was good at. Uh, I want to push back on that idea, because I believe that Eisen is proficient in playing the flute. I couldn't think of anything else he might be good at, but... Can you confirm that? Yeah, and with the flute thing, like, you can produce noise, and people will clap politely, but it's not pleasant to be around. So what kind of flute are we talking about? Like, is it, is it like a recorder, or is it like a no-shitter flute? So, it's, um, it's actually very long. <laughs> it, the music is written in the bass clef, oh, uh, wow. because it's, it's so long. And I believe in the first session when it, brought, when it got brought up, I mentioned that it had a wah-wah pedal. Oh, oh that's right. right. So, so when you say it's very long, like is it still held horizontally? It is. It just wraps back in on itself a oh. bunch, so it's very tall and wide. It, it's uh, it's awkward to carry okay. around, but in a pinch, there's actually a, an attachment point where I can screw a stick onto it and use it as a maul. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Very impressive. Multi-purpose is the name of the yeah. game. Uh, for our podcast statistics... I'm happy to report that we broke 100 downloads since our last session. Per episode. Oh, yeah. uh, per episode, yeah. <laughs> Not quite. So as of the time of recording this, we are at 134 total downloads. Hell yeah. Uh, in other exciting news, we have a new country on the download list. Germany. 
So to our one German listener, I say, Guten Tag. Tell all your friends about Late Afternoon Gaming. Uh, so that was pretty exciting. That's it for the Ombudsman Report, but I would like to take some time to clarify something about our characters. We had talked briefly before we started the session about what had happened when we leveled up slightly, but I cut that out. So if quickly, and I want to start with Jack, can we run down what the deal with our character is like class-wise in case there are people who aren't super familiar with Dungeons and Dragons and might be a little confused when we talk about classes. So what what's your base class? What did you do at level three, etc.? Yeah, so my base class for Aizen is a barbarian. So barbarians in Dungeons and Dragons, they tend to be melee fighters. In almost all cases, they're going to be melee fighters. They don't typically wear armor, so you're more likely to get hit, but they compensate for that with a very high constitution score, so you have a lot of health. And one of the class features that is very prominent, it's sort of a core feature of the class, is the rage mechanic, where you can only do it so many times before you take a rest, but while it's active, you actually have a damage mitigation effect. So you're tanky in a way where you don't you, you tend to get hit a lot just because you don't have that armor, but you can absorb a lot of damage, and you, uh, you're sort of in the thick of things, and you're swinging the weapon, and you're hopefully doing a lot of damage as well. So that's the base class. The third level option, and I guess if we're addressing this to people who maybe aren't so familiar with D&D, most classes you can specialize at third level, and you basically get to pick a subclass. For Aizen, I went with the Path of the Beast, which gives me beast-like characteristics. In the previous session, you saw that where I was turning my hands into claws. There's some other fun things I can do as well. So the the main benefit I'm going to get out of that is uh, some additional combat options, and I, I thought that it was nice and thematic with the sort of bestial theme of Cursed of Strahd, and it also potentially has some fun interactions with my other character that we saw in the session zero although i guess the session zero isn't part of the podcast but the uh the higher level character that we'll be seeing it occasionally throughout the throughout the um campaign so that character was in session one right that was walker the ranger yeah it's just we didn't we didn't see the full session zero that's so you, walker was in session one but there's a lot of stuff that was missed in the session zero um but walker doesn't like lichens of any kind, and Aizen can now be very easily mistaken for a lichen. Lycanthrope, I should say. No, it's it's the lichens from Underworld. Oh, uh, okay. I think that's a good basic rundown. Is there any major detail that you think is significant to add? No, that was that was pretty much... I think that covers everything that a a noob might be confused about. Nerf, what about you? Yeah, so uh, Cockaby the Goblin is a cleric, specifically a grave cleric. Um, so clerics, unlike some other classes, uh, they actually specialize at level one. Um, so he's been a grave cleric since level one. Um, I, I picked grave cleric um, thematically. I thought it would fit in well with Curse of Strahd since grave clerics are uh, very much opposed to undead as they believe death is a natural process of you know, the natural result of life and not something to be avoided. Um, I also felt like in a party of three, a grave cleric would bring some utility to help keep people up, um, specifically having the cantrip um, Spare the Dying as a, a ranged spell. 
um, that can be used as a bonus action would be very beneficial to keeping people alive if we got into fights. Spare the dying, for those who don't know, it lets you stabilize somebody. So when someone goes unconscious, they have to do death saving throws, and if you roll poorly on it, you'll die. Or if you roll successfully, you're stabilized, but still unconscious. Spare the dying instantly stabilizes you. That's right. Uh, and also, Cockabee's um, feathered friend, Goldie the Hen, is an arch-lich, maybe. Unconfirmed, but certainly <laughs> true. Okay, yeah. And clerics generally, outside of the specialization, are, uh, you know, they're faith-based casters who uh, generally are seen as healers. So Grave Cleric is just kind of a, a specialized version of them. Yes, gen- generally healers, and also generally pretty durable compared to other casters. Right, so most casters don't have proficiency in, ar- like, I think warlocks have proficiency in, like, light armor, or maybe medium. But generally speaking, they, they're unarmored and they're pretty squishy. Clerics are, are sort of unique in that sense among casters where, uh, full casters, where they wear armor typically, at least medium, and a lot of them uh, can wear heavy armor as well. And, and shields as well. Yep. Shields, yeah. Okay, that's a pretty good rundown. For my character, Light of Dawn, he is a Spellblade, which is a, a custom class that I found, like a homebrew class I found online. Uh, the deal with him is that uh, it's a dexterity-based combat class that uh, it, it's sort of focused on damage output against a single target. That I mean, that's pretty much it. The thing with my characters that I need to have a, a hand to open so I can't use a shield. Uh, so I've got a sword in one hand and nothing in the other. So it means my armor class isn't super high, but I'm focused on doing a lot of damage. So at level 3, I took the Assault specialization, which basically all that does is give me an ability that lets me do a one-shot high damage attack that I can only do once per rest, uh, which I haven't had the opportunity to use it yet. But that's pretty much it. It's just a, it's just a, a fighting type character that really focuses on doing a lot of damage. Uh, that's pretty much it. There, really, there's there's not a ton of depth to a lot of the uh, the custom classes like this, which I didn't really realize until I started using them this campaign. So we'll see how that turns out. But that's pretty much it. I think that's a good rundown. Thank you, gentlemen, for assisting. Yeah, absolutely. That's all the things that I had that I was going to bring up for the Ombudsman Report or anything like that. So, since you didn't mention Pottage, uh, somebody needs to make an inaccurate statement about Pottage. Yeah, I was... So that it can be brought up on the next Ombudsman Report. I was thinking about that. This is the first time where I don't have anything to say about stew of any kind. I was thinking about bringing it up just to have something to say that Jack, last time you said that they had an infinite amount of stew when asked. And I was going to say, well, you know, that's that's not <laughs> what Infinity Stew is, which is not even the real name, blah, blah, but it just seemed kind of pointless, yeah. so I didn't do it. So in mm-hmm. my world, Infinity Stew is a wondrous item. <laughs> ah, okay. It's, yeah, it's a thermos that is it, you can never reach the bottom of. Right, so it's like a bag of holding, but it's exclusively for stew. Right. Yeah, no, so cool. I, I'm also I'm thinking of introducing an NPC that has, uh, what am I thinking? For Infinity Chowder, uh, which is disgusting because it's milk based and so it spoils. <laughs> oh wow, that's yeah, that's pretty nasty. Yeah, and it's hot. I like it would eventually become like a cheese, right? As it ages. I think it would just become spoiled milk. <laughs> yeah, it would just become but puddled. I uh, I am not, a, not an expert <laughs> on how cheese works. 
Well, maybe next ombudsman report, we'll find out. <laughs> I, I don't think we will. I have an exciting tie-in table talk topic. Go on. Uh, as our legions of listeners are no doubt aware, friend of the channel, like a day on the boat, woodworking, uh, is cranking out dice trays at an alarming pace of nearly a quarter of a dice tray a week. And uh, so that led me, that in our, our ongoing Wormwood discussion, uh, has led me to ask, when we inevitably make it really big and we're making, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of a million dollars a year on the podcast, this is a more specific version of the question I asked last week. So I asked, you know, when we get rich, what's your first, you know, ridiculous impulse buy going to be? But now my question is, what is your, what kind of lavish, luxury, tabletop RPG products are you going to buy? So what I'm thinking is, it's it's more about the like the story behind it. You know, it's like, hey, I've got a dice tray that, what is it? Like a day on the boat? Like a day on the boat. Like a day on the boat woodworking has made me a dice tray that, it looks like any other dice tray, but the wood is from some significant source. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, you know, this came from, this is wood from the true cross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah. this is wood from some, like, some famous ship this or is, something like that. These dice are made from the, the ivory of the last elephant that was, you know, <laughs> in a particular area. So, yeah, something really, really special. Yeah, something like that. That And the more, like, morally awful it is that we've wasted whatever that... Mm-hmm. resources on this particular piece of equipment is yeah. the better this this <laughs> yeah made from the wood from the last tree in the rainforest right yeah yeah something something like that that that's the angle i'd take but i'm thinking like you know one of there's one of those you know poor people like me fantasize about like what rich people do with their money and it's things like you know they're they're spending tens of thousands of dollars to eat like exotic animals that are endangered just to say that they have, even if it doesn't taste good. Or the thing where you put, like, flecks of gold in in some food just because. Right, which, you know, for practical reasons seems like it would be awful. But I guess you just do it because because you're showing off, or because, so you can say that you did. Right, it's just it's something you do, I guess. Right. Uh, so I'm thinking, you know, dice made out of some ridiculous material that actually is not good for... Not good for dice. Right, like it's too soft and it, it wears and it makes the dice uneven really quickly or... Sure, it's not weighted properly and so, they're you know, they don't even work properly. Like human bone dice. Hum- uh, oh, human bone dice yeah. would be great. And you've got human leather in your dice tray. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I have a couple of sets of gemstone dice that I bought on Etsy that I like. I think the most I've ever paid for a set of dice is... 40 bucks, 50 bucks. But obviously, you could go way bigger than that. And I, I, I mean, I, I think the, the obvious way to go is like get gold dice with gem, gemstone, you know, little pips for dots. Or gemstone dice with gold pips, because I think that would be much more expensive. I also think it would look better. And I, I like the idea that you look at that and you're like, oh, those are resin dice. Right? And you're like, I nope, go, those are no. rubies. Nope, that is yeah. an eight carat diamond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, but they should be much more durable, generally speaking, as long as... Because I have to assume that, you know, on Moe's scale of hardness, the sapphire that I'm making my dice out of is much higher on the scale than resin. 
So that I think is that is where the slippery slope of luxury gaming products begins, right? Because you go from regular resin dice to or poly dice to you get stone dice or metal dice or something like that, and then you go, oh, well I can't roll this on my table because it'll gouge the shit out of my table. I have to get a dice tray now. <laughs> and then that's a, you know, that's a whole rabbit hole you can go down and then you're like, oh, but, you know, but what about the dice tower? Like, I, I can't just throw these into a sock and take them to my game like I did with my old dice. Like, I can't put them in a Ziploc bag. You know, I'm gonna yeah. have to get an $80 dice vault that matches my tray and my dice tower. You know, before you know it, you're showing up to your Adventures League game in a, a sports car made out of spalted tamarind made by Wormwood. You have a, a backpack that's a giant dice tower that dumps out through your sleeve onto a gigantic wooden table. Well, but I think you're also paying someone to do that rolling for you. You, you think that you, you actually, you've invested so much in rolling that but you simultaneously become so important that you're not even the one benefiting from all that luxury? It's more like I'm hiring someone who is has better technique than me. I, I no longer... I've invested so much money that I don't trust my own proficiency. Wow, okay. Right. It's like you don't fly your own private jet. You get, you have a guy for that. Well, I have a guy for that not just because I, you know, can't afford it, but because I, I need someone who's trained for this, right? Okay. Um, because I, I respect their, you know, their craft enough to know that they're better at it than me and that right. I should... You know, I should defer to their their better wisdom. Mm. But enough about that. Uh, I we haven't heard from Jack and Nerf about what sort of luxury things they're gonna do. Yeah, my my first purchase would be just because of my personality. I don't really have friends at all, so I would pay people to pretend to be my friends, so I would have people to play with outside of this group. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. So would mm -hmm. it be? Would you be running your own? Like we've talked about what the side content for this is gonna be, right? So. You know, to zoom out a little bit, as as you build your your show, right? The whole name of the game is audience engagement, and the way you can do that is to create easy to make, uh, but you know, long con uh, long form content for people to consume. Additional content that is you know supplemental to what you're doing, so interviews or other kinds of things like you know, oh, there's some. Uh, you know, Duncan does a show about his writing process or something, and Nerf does a show about uh, gardening. I don't know, just something stupid <laughs> that may or may not have anything to do with, uh, you know, with the content that we provide. So would you use these other people that, that you have hired to build more content, or is this a solely uh, personal endeavor where you get to pretend like people like you? Uh, I would get to pretend that people like me, and then also as I gradually burn through, like, they... They're not even willing to get paid to be my friend anymore. I would I would document uh, how I fucked up, and we would post it as sort of a sort of a Todd Margaret style like dumpster fire type cringe fest. Brilliant. <laughs> and I think I think that could work out really well. That's a great description. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty good. What about you, Nerf? I I think it would have to be custom wormwood dice tray inserts for my. New rap for. Ah, okay. All right, we're bringing it back. Yeah, so. I like like I'm not sure if I would want it to be like something that attaches to the door or just something that like maybe fits in over the um like the console or the cup holders maybe. 
Or, right, we're getting to the point where, you know, if we can hire friends for Jack, then we can hire a driver for you. That's you can sure, have a yeah. setup in, in, the, in the back. Actually, right? I, I like the that idea. the seat folds down and you've got a bigger space. Yeah, no, that would be great. Yeah. I, I think that's it. All right. That's pretty good. No, I mean, because you, you never know when, when a game pops up. You know, maybe I'm traveling, you know, have like a, the screen that falls down where I can hook up all my, you know, the mic equipment to and, and then, yeah, have mm -hmm. the fold out tray. I think I would also maybe toss a little bit of money towards the server and maybe give it like <laughs> get 256 megabytes of RAM. Maybe maybe get an actual server instead of my old gaming laptop. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think if we can if we can reach one gigabyte of RAM, that might help. Hey, yeah. even with the potato you're running that on, it's still better than roll 20. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Dude, that was a nightmare. I'm so glad that like. I forget sometimes just because this is so smooth it just sort of fades into the background Roll20 had constant issues yep. and I'm glad we don't have to deal with that anymore now I will say to Roll20's credit it it was doing a fine job like it was doing okay uh, and a shout out to Duncan who really took a lot of time to learn the intricacies of how to make it as good as it could be uh, but it, it did have enough shortcomings that uh, when I believe Nerf, you were the first one to use Foundry, uh, and we were just yep. like, "Oh, this is this is what this is supposed to look like." And so Foundry, I, I think, is better. But I I don't want to shit on Roll Twenty too much because we used it a lot and it did work. It just had enough problems that we were looking to switch. Roll Twenty was made much better when we found that Beyond Twenty plugin. That's for sure. Because the the issues that I had with Roll Twenty, and I I, I want to second what Shepard just said that like. I, I, you know, my, my feedback for Roll20 is pretty positive. Or, you know, it's generally uh, positive. And I, I had read negative stuff about Roll20, but it wasn't so much about the product. It was stuff on Reddit with people complaining about the guy who owns Roll20. I don't really know anything about that. I never had any significant issues with it. What made it difficult to use for a larger campaign was, like, the file structure and organization stuff. So moving music around was difficult. Uh, the maps, like the way that you selected which map to use, you had to scroll through in this kind of uncomfortable way. And the Beyond 20 plugin fixed a lot of that. I thought the dynamic lighting was, was good, and the Fog of War, maybe it's better now. When I was using it, it was, uh, not only did it slow everything down a lot, but it was also in squares. It looked like a video game. Yeah. Where, and and it, was, it was jarring because the dynamic lighting was like it was rays so um you know everything was straight lines and then the the fog of war was grid squares and it, it was just kind of this bizarre combination of effects but one thing that roll 20 could do that none of the other stuff we were using was able to do properly was you could play multiple tracks at once for audio so you could have ambient noise and and music playing and that was like fairly easy you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because the ability to just play music on things for some reason, both in real life and over the, the internet, is surprisingly challenging. So I remember when I was doing my in-person campaign uh, with you and your friends, uh, I had to get like an app on my iPad that allowed me to, I had to like import things into it and then it was basically like a mixer and I could use it to play two things at the same time. But otherwise, that task was basically impossible. And then I was trying to find 
a way to basically like you know i i stream something up and you stream something down that isn't like a public facing thing some app over the internet that i could do that with where i could play music for people while we do something and then you just have to you know have that browser tab open it would play music or whatever mm-hmm. but uh like that was also very difficult to find for some reason and maybe it exists and i was searching the wrong way or something like that but it seemed like something that would be like a relatively simple service to make and like free to use if you're just doing peer-to-peer stuff but i didn't find it anywhere it was right. really weird so what's funny is roll 20 or foundry or things like it provide that service just as a bonus whereas i wish someone would just make that you know m- make that a smaller service that only does that somewhere and it seems like nobody does well, and it's weird to me that Discord doesn't. So in Roll20, you can do uh, voice and video chat. And I don't know anyone who does. So I've, I've played at a you know handful of different tables now, some D&D, uh, a fair amount of Delta Green, and almost everyone uses Roll20 for dice rolls and handouts and stuff like that, and, uh, and Discord for... Pretty much all the communication, including voice. Because the, the Roll20 stuff is shitty. It doesn't work. We well. actually tried to use it at the very beginning. We used it in uh, right. session zero. And we were just, we had to reset everyone constant. Yeah. Right. It was a nightmare. And we were trying to, because there's a video feature in that as well, where you can use your webcam or whatever. And man, oh man, right. I have the recordings of it. It was the one where, <laughs> uh, Duncan, you were DMing for it. And then it was me, Nerf, and one of our other... Uh, campaign mates were doing. It was called Session 0.5, mm-hmm. and it's a nightmare. It just looks god-awful. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And, and I, I suspect that they don't invest anymore in it because they know people don't use it. It's not a selling point of their platform. Right. It's unnecessary. And it kind of... It makes me wonder why they support it at all. The, the thing I think about, it would make sense if you had it as an all-in-one app for a tablet where it might be a little more difficult to have multiple multiple apps running these different programs to do, you know, ultimately facilitate the same thing, right? I'm talking to these people and right. I'm rolling with them in Roll20. That's the application where it makes the most sense to me, but since most people do this over PC, it doesn't really make sense. I think they're also just trying to curate their own community. I mean, there's a whole, uh, like, game finder portion of Roll20 that we never touched. So, I mean, I think they're, they're trying to set it up as a, you can you know, meet and play with people and only interact with them through Roll20 so you're not introducing randos to your other, you know, social media presences. Yeah, so I have only, you know, I've only done kind of this Craigslist-style gaming stuff one time. And that's when, I don't remember exactly when this was, I'm pretty sure it was shortly after we finished with Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, We weren't actively playing anything or not, you know, not for very long anyway. And I had, I don't remember where I found out about Delta Green, Pro- probably on DriveThruRPG. I was just scrolling through and I saw it. Anyway, I bought one of the source books, read it, thought it was really interesting. Uh, and, you know, it, it's hard enough to find people that'll play D&D with you. But when you start getting like really out there with these specific games, you have to just learn how to run it and then offer to run it for other people. Which is interesting for a system like Delta Green, uh, because I think probably if you're going to try to convince someone to play some game, Dungeons & Dragons is probably the easiest, just because people have heard of it, 
but it's actually, even though it's a relatively simple TTRPG, if you look at, you know, if you look at literally all of them, it's still much more complicated than something like Call of Cthulhu or Delta Green, which are, I would say, very, very True. simple. I agreed, but it's it, it's a weird thing where, like, almost everyone starts with D&D. You know, just, it's been around for so long, and it's so prominent, especially now, uh, that, you know, I, I it's the very rare person that, you know, just went, went from zero to Delta Green. Right. Well, which is not to say that I think it's, you know, really advanced or anything like that. It's just odd. But yeah, I, I've uh, I've done the, the looking for game thing before. I know... I've, I've looked around on the Roll20 forum side where people do, you know, basically put out flyers for their games. And they'll advertise, you know, this is when we want to start. This is what time it is. This is how long it's going to run. That kind of stuff. And I think, though, I think that's the same thing... Or it's, you know, similar to the voice and video chat, where, like, nobody's just posting there. It's, you know, you double up, but you, you post on looking for game, you post on dedicated communities, like for Delta Green, you, you know, you put something up on the Night at the Opera Discord and subreddit. You know, it's a it's a shotgun kind of approach, but... I, I, it would surprise me if D&D Beyond is not developing their own virtual tabletop element. Because they have a really robust forum system, and like you know, it, it's to the point where it's basically its own social media. And I think if yeah. they if they end up developing it, one, it will be pretty good because the, the quality of stuff D and D Beyond does it is generally quite good, and it's going to crowd out a lot of the smaller, um, or even right now the bigger tabletop things because it's going to combine things in a way that is just so much more fluid. Now it is it will be specifically D&D, but as that is, you know, the the biggest shareholder uh, in a lot of the TTRPG space, I think that that would end up they they would net a lot of users doing that. You know though, I I well, I really like the website, like the desktop version of the website and I, it's really clean and the interfaces work well. I've had trouble with the apps. Uh for a as long as I've had them. Like, it, you know, doesn't load references properly or loading times are very long. Um, and I think they recently split out the app as well. Like, now there's a reader and, like, a maybe a character sheet app or something like that. But they're frustrating enough for me to use that I, I don't use them anymore. Yeah, but I suspect... Well, this may not be the case. I was going to say I suspect that most people are, are desktop users for it, but I say that as a a guy who refuses to not own a desktop, and I know that I'm becoming the minority. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I suspect they will do that at some point, and when they do, I suspect it will be quite good. Or it will quickly get good. I am surprised, though, that... You know, as a, as a DM, I think I would always want to be on a proper computer, like a laptop or a desktop. But as a player, especially given how popular this has gotten and how... Yeah, I, I, I assume most games now are played remotely, or at least some kind of hybrid, right? Where you're sitting at the table together, but a lot of the resources are digital. I'm, I'm surprised we don't see good tablet and phone apps uh, that do, you know, essentially what Roll20 does or what Foundry does at some level. I feel like for me, and I guess this will differ based on the person, but doing anything related to like being a player i i need multiple screens having the map up and then also having my character sheet up at the same time or having my notes or having some reference up 
I don't think I would have a lot of fun trying to manage all of that using only a single screen, personally. That would you be know, the though, big hang-up and, for and me. Maybe I'm sucking my own dick a little here, but I, I do think that we tend to play a, like a slightly more multimedia, in-depth game than I think is being done at a lot of other tables. Uh, yeah, where that's probably true. We and I, which is not to say that I, I think we're close to the you know very far end of that spectrum, but we have we have detailed battle maps. Not that I'm drawing them; they're the Mike Schley maps usually. But you know we have we have maps that we're actually using with tokens on them, and so we're not just using those for uh, combat. We're also you know we have area maps that you guys have constant access to. So I, I would imagine you're pretty much always looking at a map on at least one of your screens. Uh, or at least that's the way I'm trying to run it, is that you always have, you know, either a location map, an area map, or a, you know, a world map to be looking at. Then, I'm putting these... I, I use, uh, like, scene setter pictures, illustrations, which is something I have started doing recently that I like and think I want to continue doing in my other games. Uh, doing that, and I, similarly, I'm putting up character portraits, and they're either portraits out of the book, or they're just, you know, stock photos or, or drawings that I think match the characters. And we're using all the D&D Beyond stuff, and we have, you know, other miscellaneous handouts, like letters and things like that, plus text going into the Discord and the Foundry, and, you know, you put it all together, and I, I, I think there's a, it's a, there are a lot more ingredients there than there are... Um, at a lot of other tables where it would be, you know, pretty... If we were running this, you know, total theater of the mind and dice rolling, all you would need in front of you is a character sheet. Yeah, and I think that... To your, I, I agree with you, Duncan. And I think that, going with what I was saying earlier, I think that D&D Beyond is well poised to develop that kind of thing where the players, right, they will be able to get away with one screen because... All of that extra information, like everything they need to look up, is already in D&D Beyond. So there will just be a thing you can swipe over or pull up that'll let you reference that thing. Then you can put it away so that you can keep looking at the map or whatever's going on. Um, because it's already got And from a DM else. perspective, uh, right. Well, the other thing is, you know, if you are buying your references on D&D Beyond, and I think pretty much everyone is at this point. You know, if, if you are running the module on Roll20, you either have to import all of the maps... And then do all the dynamic lighting drawing, which, you know, for anyone who hasn't done that before, or I guess I should explain what dynamic lighting is. So if you're using a virtual tabletop, you know, one of the, the things that makes it such a powerful tool is uh, there's a, there are these gridded screens where you can import a map image, just a battle map, and you can scale the image however you like so that the, you know, the grid on the picture, if it's a picture that already has a grid on it, is the same size as the grid on the screen, and so you can give your characters tokens that snap to the grid, makes it really easy to move around, they can have measuring tools, you can draw effects, and stuff like that. But uh, almost all of the virtual tabletops now give you the option of doing dynamic lighting, which is um, on a different layer that the players can't see, you can draw lighting barriers on the map, and then when they put their tokens in, it makes it so that they can't see past walls, and you can make it so it's nighttime and give them some vision radius so that, uh, you know, if, if they have night vision out to 60 feet, that's that's it. And, and you can even have bright or dim light 
Um, you can have torches that illuminate small areas. It is a really cool, powerful thing. But going through a big map and drawing all of these lighting barriers and then making sure there isn't some tiny little hole that they can peep through and stuff like that, that's a, it's like a somewhat laborious process. And during when we did Tomb of Annihilation, I spent hours drawing lighting barriers and then moving a token through you know, running it past all the walls to make sure there weren't any gaps in the barriers, that kind of thing. But in something like Roll20, if you go to the Roll20 marketplace and you buy the Tomb of Annihilation module, for example, for 20 bucks or however much it is, they give you all the maps, all the tokens, you know, notes and, and handouts and things like that, and the lighting barriers are already drawn, which is huge. You know, the issue there is, you know, do you want to save yourself the work if you do, you have to rebuy this module that you already own on D&D Beyond, and, and you probably already own the book in, in, you know, the hard copy. So, if this was on D&D Beyond where you already have these references, and there was just a, you know, an integrated virtual tabletop, and your notes and your maps and everything were all in the same spot, that would be huge. This is just, like, one of the many hidden costs of being a DM. Yeah, wow, your life is so hard. Oh my god. My life is really hard, but, you know, at least... I, you know, I, women can sense that and, and they, you know, they can tell that you're a DM and, you know, and, and they obviously are really into that. Yeah, it's one of the, you know, especially when you're an elite DM, like, like you are. Right, right. It can be difficult. To... It, it's, it's kind of a nuisance, uh -huh. actually. Uh, Blessing and a curse. Right. I'm, I'm just at Safeway, you know, trying to, be, you know, trying to pick up some, some delicious, uh... You know, Chef Boyardee to get through the weekend, and I just get way more attention than I want. You know, and I have to pull my my hood up and and pull my pull my cloak over myself mm -hmm. and try to you know cast a spell on yeah. them. Pull your trench coat a uh, little so tighter. I can get out of there. Pop the collar up a little right. bit. Pull pull the trilby down. I've actually, I I, I uh, I'm kind of like a grown up backpack kid. Ah. Where I I have I have a big backpack full of textbooks. Mm -hmm. Uh, on my person at all times. I also run everywhere. That's smart. It's good for you. Yeah. Yep. It's funny when you mention food. So I, I'm currently 36 hours into a 72-hour fast, and uh, I had I hadn't been hungry yet until you mentioned Chef Boyardee, and then I got hungry. Now I have a physical <laughs> sensation of hunger. So thank you. Yeah. Well, well, it's better than the physical fasting. sensation of having Chef Boyardee inside. You, so. <laughs> That's true. Hmm. <laughs> I haven't had Chef Boyardee in a long time. It's it's pretty good, man. I like it. I, I mean, it's it's one of those things though that like you you begin to feel bad before you're even done eating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's there's no one has ever finished a bowl of Chef Boyardee and gone. And I'm really glad I did that. <laughs> See, Duncan, you strike me as the type that doesn't even heat it up though. You just like slurp it straight out of the can. I I will say something I am guilty of is. Uh, I do not... Well, when, when I'm at home, I plan my meals fairly well, which is not to say they're healthy. It just means that I have the ingredients on hand to make what I want. Sure. What I don't do is plan lunches properly. I don't, I don't know why. It's just something that I have not done. So, you know, I, I started a new job, I guess about four months ago. And at my previous job, I would frequently go out to eat with my coworkers. Uh, you know, we would... I usually wouldn't bring a lunch and we would go across the street uh, and, and get something to eat. Now, I, I usually eat at my desk. 
Uh, and there's this, like, shitty little kind of convenience store downstairs. So I get, like, a burrito out of the fridge and a bag of Tostitos. And there's a, like, a single-serve size thing of queso. So you get five of those. <laughs> I'm sure it's, yeah, it's supposed to go in the microwave. Never microwaved it. I just eat it, you know, ice cold. And something about that makes that meal feel even filthier. Like more pathetic, you mean, or? Right. Like, like you know, you're when you're heating up a you know, convenience store burrito in the microwave, that's pretty low already. But when you're eating your cold, like, Tostitos brand queso with it, that's a, I feel like that's a new level. That is pretty, that's pretty epic. Thank you for sharing. I will say... Yeah. The, the recipe that, I mean, I still use it. I've been making it for about two years now, uh, or actually like two and a half years. My curry recipe is a great thing for lunch. Hmm. You can either bring it with rice or just eat it solo. Uh, just heat it up in the microwave. One, it's very, very uh, aromatic, pungent. Like, the smell will get everywhere, and it smells delicious. Um, and when people find out that you're making homemade curry... They immediately think that you know what the hell is going on in life. Like, oh, this person has legitimate skills that I don't. Because curry... And they, they couldn't be yeah, more well, wrong. Because people think that curry is really complicated, and I'm sure there are complicated curry recipes. Mine has a lot of ingredients, but it's it's inc- trivially easy to make. You just need to get the ingredients and then throw it in the crock pot. And it's it's yeah. foolproof, but it's super good. It smells amazing. And people will, will think that you're like a more complete human being than you actually are. I feel like a lot of people don't like maybe they've just never owned a crock pot. Maybe they just don't know what they are. But there's a lot of complicated like air quotes complicated things that are not hard at all because you just cut the stuff up. Maybe you do a little bit of like searing beforehand if you want to get some like some sear into the flavor. And then you just dump it into a crock pot and walk away from it. Right, yeah, you braise a roast for a delicious. couple seconds and then you, yeah. you're done. Most cooking that, you know, people who are not professionals are going to do, you, you just follow a procedure. Well, a lot of people are not good at that. <laughs> I know, but, if, you know, a lot of times if you don't follow it quite right, it's still fine. I, I, I <laughs> guess I, what I don't mean to say by that is I think cooking is bullshit or anything. I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, generally, like, cooking's not fucking hard it's like it's it might be hard to go from like great to incredible but it's not hard to go from shitty to very good i totally agree especially now that with the advent of the internet right you can find even things that are somewhat complicated or seem like they might be you can find a relatively easy version of that thing whatever it is that's like 95 percent as good as the thing that's complicated uh, but, you know, with a third of the effort involved. Um, so here's why I'm going to push back on that. And it's if you already have high blood pressure, trying to read recipes on the Internet will give you a stroke because you have to <laughs> scroll so far down. Yeah, I hate that shit. Past, you know, someone saying like, my mother always told me when I was growing up, we always used to pick cucumbers. And then you're like, oh, my God, like, where's the fucking recipe? What's really frustrating is because I totally agree. Yeah, it's got some big narrative about the dish before you get to the part where they tell you how to cook yeah. it, which is all just search engine optimization. Right. That's all it is. Uh, yeah. But what's really annoying is that occasionally when you find these recipes, there's little tidbits in the narrative portion that are actually critical to the making of the dish. 
that don't make it into the final sure. recipe portion, like things you can substitute or uh, like what this step actually means. Like if, if the directions are unclear, you have to go back up to the narrative to figure out what the hell they're actually saying there. Like it doesn't just say braise, it just says like, oh, cook this. And you're like, what do you mean cook that? Then you have to scroll up and see what they mean. This would be an interesting project. I, I can't remember what that um, the AI is that's supposed to be that generates like realistic text. GPT three uh, writes poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we need to make a like a GPT three project that that does recipes. Does recipe blogging? <laughs> That'd be good. I like that idea. It's just ridiculous stories, and then it spits out some bullshit recipe, com- complete with all kinds of crazy banner ads and stuff. Speaking of bullshit recipes, uh, Jack got me for our secret Santa we did last year. Uh, I just put some random bullshit from the site that we had used to generate the Secret Santa assignment. Oh, that's right, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, I know where this is going. At the end of it, there was a list of like products that you know they were sponsored by them or what, you know, however they did it, uh, that were available. Of like, hey, here's some gift ideas for your Secret Santa thing, and I just picked three of them just for the hell of it. Uh, and Jack actually got me those things. <laughs> One of them was this. <laughs> It was like a Star Wars branded cookbook, and <laughs> it looked awful. That's the reason I got it is because I wanted you to try it and tell me how terrible it was. <laughs> I gave no thought to it, um, right? I just like oh, Star Wars cookbook. That's funny, and so I, I there might have been like a sneak peek thing that I didn't use, but I opened that thing and man, that is some nasty looking stuff. And part of that is because you know oh, it's Star Wars, so you know there's random things that are just dyed blue or whatever. Oh, and so, you know, it's like, oh, here's, you know, you want to eat like a green steak? And you're like, no, I don't actually. But... You want some delicious blue milk? Yeah. Some of the other stuff, right? Because there's stuff that just looks gross because it's dyed some color for Star Wars reasons. There are other recipes in there that just look and sound disgusting, like just from a culinary standpoint. And I'm I'm far from, you know, I'm a novice when it comes to cooking, but I know, I know a thing or two. And these recipes, I'm like... Oh my god, I wouldn't I wouldn't even think to prepare this because it, it like the promo picture of it just looks so nasty. Um and I can like you do a roast and put like vanilla in it. Yeah, I can like, like I can practically <laughs> smell these pictures and it just smells off. It was so bad. So here's my question. Is this a you know, is this a cookbook person that just took advantage of of Star Wars? No, I think it was you know, an official or, product. Of that? Or, or was it Star Wars, you know, just like, what's, you know, one tiny thing that we haven't touched yet? Oh, well, I know, a cookbook. We'll put out a cookbook. It was an official, like, it had Star Wars branding on it. There's no way that was just some dude. No, I, I, I understand that. But you know what I mean? Some Someone had to, someone actually wrote this thing. Oh, yeah. And my question is, are they, you know, is this a guy that's written 50 different cookbooks and, you know, star, he finally made a deal with Star Wars and did one of those as well? Or was it, you know, the Star Wars merchandising people that were desperately trying to find like a tiny bit of market share that wasn't theirs already i would assume option number two i tend to lean towards the cynical in cases like this and i think that there's no reason to deviate i I think they're both (laughs) cynical the question is when are we coming out with the late afternoon gaming cookbook Ooh, that's a good point. Just various types of stew yeah it's it's all i I, (laughs) and 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 wines well and yeah i'd I'd be down yeah Redberry Crush. I, I don't want to. I don't want to hype too much, but I was actually planning on introducing a new dish on this session. Wow. Oh my god! Don't spoil wait. it. Don't spoil it, please. Yeah, but so so far, I mean, yeah, we have cottage. 
We have Ponic. We have Rosemary Bread. We have... We do. We have Rosemary Bread. We have Red Dragon Crush and Purple Grape Mash number three. We have Wheelbarrow Full of Stew. We have a Wolf Which Stew. Is wolf Meat Stew. A classic. Mm-hmm. With the debate of turnips versus uh, potatoes and whether or not they can be creatively substituted for each other. Right. Uh, and I, I think that's it. Well, you got but up your game. stand by, because... Uh, and I, I have, and I... Uh, you're forgetting about... Depending on how you play your cards. Dream pastries made of baby humans. <laughs> uh, dream pastries. Yeah. <laughs> is that going to make it in? Yes. Uh, yeah, dream pastries definitely going I in I think to make it, you know, morally sensible, we substitute baby kittens. I think, I, that makes I think you're correct, Shepard. Um, yeah, no, baby kittens fair. instead of actual baby children. One last comment, and then I think we should probably get to the actual session here. But I want to go back to people. I don't see why. Well, you know, I guess we don't need to. But just on the topic of people in general being not nearly as good at cooking as they could be, presumably because they Mm. never put much effort into it, because it doesn't take much effort to be decent. Most people don't seem to have any kind of reasonable spice arsenal. Like, the, the, oh, I tried cooking, but it's always so bland. Like, what'd you put in it? <laughs> salt. Salt, yeah. <laughs> okay, hey, salt, salt yeah, is like, pretty good, yeah. uh, but... Well, it's but it's more right. of an enhancement. Like, it brings flavors out. There has to be something there first. I, I do agree. Uh, my spice arsenal is quite yeah. large, mostly because I make a lot of curry. But yeah. there's but like, some... You gotta, have, you gotta have cumin. You yep. gotta have, like, paprika. Yep. There's some easy ones. Chili Garlic powder and Tony's yep. are Garlic powder is excellent. Tony's. Slappy mm-hmm. Mama, I believe, is the preferred brand. <laughs> I haven't had that in a while, but... Punch yeah. your daddy. <laughs> if I'm making a steak or something like that, what I usually do is I put salt and garlic powder on one side and Tony's on the other. And uh, that, that works great. And, like, great. herbs. If you're, like, you're making, like, a stew or something, and you're like, did you toss some bay leaves in there? And they're like, I, I thought that was a Pokemon. You're like, okay. <laughs> no, that's bay blades. Like, Let them rip. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Bay blades. Sage and, and all that, like, parsley, thyme use that shit it helps and a lot of people don't seem like they like that's a thing that they see at the restaurant but it never makes it into their home it's true it's one of those it's it seems like something complicated if you never think about it but if you if you you know cast a couple iq points (laughs) in that direction you'll quickly find that it's just about you know looking at what the right proportion should be and just throwing some in that's all you have to do is just you know (laughs) or just taking the apparently very drastic step of Taste testing occasionally and saying, hmm, that's not enough, whatever. You know, I will add more. Because that's another thing I've run into is people cooking something and then everybody sits down to eat it and they take a bite and they go, oh, I should have added more blank. And you're like, how did that make it this far? Well, all right, I can't wait, you know, sometime in the next decade, whenever I see Jack in person again to make him cook for me and then be hugely <laughs> critical of it. Yeah, well. Right, when, when we, when the Patreon uh, subscribers pay for us to all come together and do an in-person game that, that's going to be video With a guest star, the winner of a sweepstakes. With with guest star Matt <laughs> Coville. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be guest star Avenged Sevenfold. We talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> How many people in Avenged Sevenfold are still alive? We know it won't be Matt Mercer because Matt Mercer's dead. <laughs> Wait, do you ask how many people in Avenged Sevenfold are still alive? Only one of them died. There, oh, only one did? Oh, never. Yeah, the Rev oh. back in like 2008 or so. Yeah, I'll cook you my best ramen noodles, and you'll be you'll be blown away. Hey, I mean, if you can make legit ramen, like I, I'm, I'm generally a fan of Japanese cuisine, and uh, the ramen yes, I had it, in Japan, good pretty good. 
Uh, I actually, I, I quite enjoyed I've most of the food. To try. You might be surprised to learn that the best sushi I've ever eaten was uh, in Japan. What? Uh, uh, I'm shocked. Yeah, can you believe it? It was this little was hole it in, in the, the subway. Wall uh, it was not. Um, it was this kind of hole in the wall place in Osaka, um, which is one of the big fish places in Japan, and mm -hmm. it was pretty cheap. It's also their equivalent of like fucking hillbilly land. My understanding is like they they kind of have a similar stereotype of if you're from Osaka, you're like a backwoods sort of like you're you're basically a hick, the Japanese equivalent of a hick if you're from Osaka. I can't speak to that, but what I can say is that the sushi was absolutely terrific. It was so good. I think the the food I had in my second trip to Japan was probably my favorite part of the whole trip. It was it was absolutely delicious, um, and I had a good amount of ramen there, and it was pretty good. So if you can upgrade from the whatever Maruchan <laughs> brand ramen to start eating some real ramen, you know you've got a customer on your hands, and it's me. Uh, we forgot to do the inspiration assignment, which was part of Table Talk last time. So, uh, if you're alright with it, Duncan, I'll, I'll kick it off with my recommendation. Uh, yeah, go ahead, but but understand that the person who goes first, their recommendation uh, weighs. Oh, less. that's fine. Uh, I'm, or I'm okay with that. That is to say. So, I want to uh, recommend Jack for the inspiration, because um, again, I, I kind of mentioned it last time in Table Talk that, you know, between the two of us, in terms of in-game uh, actions, you know, I'm, I'm probably the more evil or sociopathic one. But in real life, if any of us is going to be a supervillain, I think it's pretty obvious that Jack's going to be the one who, who does that. Um, I appreciate that you recognize that. Yeah. Um, like, he has absolutely no soul whatsoever um, and, and no concept for morality, as far as I can tell. Which is great, it's one of my favorite features of him, but it's just a fact. So, when he has characters that do heroic actions for, you know, just like normal good guy reasons, it, it kind of warms my heart a little bit. And uh, Aizen was the first one to jump in the water to rescue Arabelle. Um, and that, like, moment of heroism, I think, was really, uh, was really great, and I, I really enjoyed it. I jumped in right after him, but, or Light of Dawn did, but I, I appreciate his... He understands what goodness is well enough to be able to emulate it properly. And so for that, I would like you to award him inspiration. That's my pitch. Mm. Well, I appreciate that. I, for my part, would like to recommend Nerf for uh, the, I think, very brave move. You know, we had Arabelle, who was going to die due to the whole drowning situation. But, uh... Despite his fixation on death, brought her back. You know, I was I was, I was worried. It was some good self restraint. I was legitimately worried that he was going to say, "Well, I think this is this person's time," and that I was going to have to like threaten him into stabilizing her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were too busy threatening the other guy. Yeah, yeah. Cockaby, did a uh, did a good thing. Yeah, no. So that I mean, that's like that's one of the complexities of being a grave cleric, right? Because on one hand, I mean, you know, you you kind of worship this idea that you know death. Is something natural and something to be uh, not necessarily afraid of, but at the same time, you have abilities like spare the dying and things that keep people from dying. Um, so the, the way I kind of see it is that Kakabi recognized that hey, it was it was not Arabella's time to die. She still had you know plenty of life to live. Um, for my part, I would uh, just to make this full circle, like to recommend Shepard. Um, for his his role playing during our wow. 
uh, <laughs> encounter. What will you do, Duncan? <laughs> during our encounter mm. with uh, the Vistani at the end, especially confronting the Vistani who brought us to this place in the in the first place. Um, I, I thought he played that very well, being unhappy but not necessarily um, antagonistic. I, I, I thought that was very well role played. Well, thank you. And I, I think I said it in the session. I don't remember if I cut it out, but I had recently watched Pig, which is a film starring um, Nicolas Cage. And uh, I was inspired by it because it, it's got some really interesting moments that are, are kind of like that, where he, he's dealing with these uh, antagonists of his, but he's doing it in a nonviolent fashion and, and talking through his problems, even though there's something that's... He's got a lot of hurt over what's going on, but he's... He's using his his empathy and his you know emotional skills to to kind of talk through the problem and, and get them to understand where he's coming from um, in order to you know resolve this conflict. And I, I thought it, it's a great film. I think, and if you haven't watched it, you should give it a shot. Um, but that inspired me to try to not fight them and, and try to come to an understanding. Um, TBD, whether it <laughs> you know <laughs> pays off in the end, or Aragorn just comes and finds us, stabs us in the back one day, and laughs. So what will you do, Duncan? Right, so I've often been compared to King Solomon, mostly because of the number of women I've seen. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, but also because I'm very wise. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give each of you a little mini-inspiration. I'm going to give you a D4 that you can add onto any role that you like. Okay, okay. Not quite as good as a bardic inspiration. Uh, from session one, I believe Nerf took the d20 that he can apply against any of, uh, and only maliciously, he can apply against any of uh, Shepard's roles. Mm-hmm. Oh. That hasn't come out yet. But that is a thing, if you recall. Okay. I don't remember why, but I will, uh, the, 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 there was we, some penalty. We have a robust and and varied inspiration economy. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, I had I had forgotten about that, um, and I, I don't know what it's for either, but you know what? I'm not going to question you, Jack, uh, and I will, I'll make sure I see if I can find a place to use it this session. I'll have to look that up for next time, because I, I think you're <laughs> right, but I don't remember it. Yeah, I just I don't remember, I just don't what, remember it's what it's from. Mm-hmm. It could be anything, let's be honest. Oh, you know what? I think it was when, I think it was when you botched the and you just paid for it Oh, that's Mine. right. Yeah. Oh, from, yeah. Uh, that would be from. Was that session three? That was session. I believe that was the end of session two. Oh, yeah, you're right. Wrong. That's session two. I think that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So that's still that's still out there, and I'm waiting for it to make a comeback, but it never has. So I wanted to make sure we all remembered that um, that that score has not yet been settled. That's pretty exciting. I can't wait to see it. 